chapter of John's Gospel, beginning at the first verse. Please Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and called, called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for, for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told the disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, he began to say, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind, because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three miles or four, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, "It is I. Do not be afraid." Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not a fan of crowds or lines. I think a lot of us who live in rural areas probably are, kind of can share that, that kind of a feeling. I'm sure we all have examples of being stuck in lines, waiting in crowds, inconvenienced by delays. For instance, I've never understood why people rush to be the first ones to get on the plane at the airport. Because the only advantage that they have is being strapped into the seat for a longer period of time. And it's not like the plane is going to be leaving without them, is it? After a long flight to Europe several years ago, and experiencing a delayed flight where we got trapped in lines and crowds without anything to eat, or to sit down for several hours, my wife and I decided no more long flights, no more airport crowds. That bad experience was bad enough, and, and, and that now even a three hour flight to Florida is more than we want. But then, as that fades, that feeling of not wanting to be in crowded places fades, we contemplate maybe a longer flight to someplace interesting. 
But I fear the crowds and the lines and the inconvenience. And you know, staying at home and watching the travel channel is a lot easier to do. It's a lot easier, and then you get you don't have to worry about being tired or hungry or closed in by crowds. So my point here is that I can begin to identify with the trouble Jesus was having with the crowds. Crowds can be kind of mindless, you know. But there was one big difference with the crowd that followed Jesus around the lake, up onto the mountain. And that was the fact that these people were going to be very hungry in more ways than one. They were going to be tired and hungry, and in spite of seeking out his, him for spiritual help, this was going to be a very inconvenient hungry time for them. They come a long way around the lake. John tells us that the Passover was coming so that the firstborn males and probably a lot of others were fasting, getting ready for Passover. So I suspect most of them, most of those people were not eating much anyway. They didn't have much to begin with. Most of these people, their biggest concern wasn't eating too much like it is for us. It was to getting enough to get by through the day. They lived essentially in that culture one day at a time in terms of food. So Jesus puts Philip to the test. He says, well, how are we going to feed all these people, Philip? What are we going to do? And Philip basically says, what? That's not going to be possible. How could we possibly do it? We don't have enough that kind of money even to feed a few of them. Even if we could find food way out here in the middle of nowhere. He basically says, well, Jesus, that's above my pay grade. In Matthew's Gospel, either Philip or one of the other disciples says, send them away. Let them, let them fend for themselves. Let them figure it out. But then Andrew steps up. Compassionate, guileless Andrew. He says, well, Jesus is not going to mean much, but there's a boy here who's willing to share what he has. Five little barley loaves and a couple of fish. I don't know. What about that? And from that, Jesus feeds them all, physically and spiritually. So I crowds on that night. They're an inconvenience for us. They're frustrated. They're annoying. But for Jesus, they're the focus of love, the focus of his compassion, a demonstration of his God-given power. So I have crowds on my mind this morning. And without taking anything away from the miracle that happened, because all four, this was so significant event that all the Gospels reported in so more or less the same way. That's significant. It's meant a lot to people. So I don't take anything away from that. I don't try to explain it either. But with that in mind, I'd like to talk about the kinds of crowds that we face as God's people. So first we can begin by looking at that crowd around Jesus. There were, of course, like in any crowd, there were camp followers. Those who were there for what they could get. Those looking for a show. Gee, Jesus will do 
doing something exciting again or heal somebody. There's also those waiting for Jesus, the religious leaders, for instance, waiting for Jesus to get himself in trouble by saying or doing something that they could hold up against him. I suspect there were the curiosity seekers, those who were just there to see what was going to happen. And of course, I suppose there were the pickpockets and the thieves who were there to get what they could get. And undoubtedly, when the bread came around, there were those in the crowd who said, well, where's the butter? Or when the fish came around, where's the tartar sauce? And those types of people are available and are inevitable in Israel. At the same time, and this is what's important, there were those who were deeply hungry for the good news, that, that news that Jesus brought, the news that God loves the sinner. For them, the miracle that happened there was proof that Jesus was the Messiah. It was proof of God's love. Those were the people who hungered spiritually. Those Jesus, that Jesus fed with the bread of life and the words of grace. They were satisfied spiritually as well as physically by what Jesus said and did. There was those in the crowd who, who in faith were provided with the staples of bread and fish and the word of God, the forgiving word of God. For a number of years, I was the director for the Twin Ports Ministry to Seafarers. It's a, I don't know if you know about it in this part of Wisconsin, but it was a, uh, it's a ministry of hospitality to sailors who come to the, to the Twin Ports. And one of the things we did was we were part of a group that welcomed every spring the first foreign ship that came to Duluth. It was kind of an honor to do, to do that. And what we did in the Seafarers Ministry was we always took the symbols of our Christian faith. We take a basket with a nice loaf of bread, maybe a bottle of wine, and some fish. I actually found smoked fish somewhere because taking a dead fish to a boat probably isn't the best thing you could do. But it was always appreciated, and these people liked the idea, and I liked the idea that we took those symbols of our faith to feed people. I, I'm sure that the, what we took did not was like what the little boy provided. It didn't make it around the ship. Although in Jesus' case, I like that symbol of the spiritual food as well as the, the physical food that we could take. So, to be sure, these people were looking and hungering and receiving the gift of spiritual food as well as physical food. To be sure, though some of those people in that crowd would fall away, much as his disciples did. But at least for now, they were hungry. And Jesus satisfied their spiritual and physical hunger. So the question then for us is where in the crowd are we? A leading spiritual writer of the last century, it's the 20th century we're talking about, had spent 25 years praying as a hermit in the desert of the Sahara. He had left the crowds. However, he came home to realize the truth that he was not nearly as contemplative and prayerful and unselfish as his mother. For most of her adult life, his mother had been so busy rearing children that she had had almost no time for formal solitude or 
prayer. And he came to this conclusion. He said, there's nothing wrong with being a hermit in the desert. But clearly, there's something very right about my mother's years of nurturing care. That was, that was grace in the midst of the crowded family. So the crowd around Jesus is made up of all sorts. Where do we see ourselves in that crowd? Do we belong to the secular crowd? You know, I'm always amazed as I drive around or as I go up and down the lake at the conspicuous consumption we have in our society. We see it on the highway, we see it in the lake, we see it in the homes built. Maybe I'm just jealous. Some would say I probably am. But I'm, and I'm also the last one to wag my finger and, you know, someone having fun or a good time. But really, how much is enough? How much does it ultimately satisfy us? Well, well, I think it doesn't. It just demands more. And I think we know that. The crowd of consumption without the balance of the gospel becomes self-indulgent, becomes an addiction, where the only way to stop the boredom is to acquire more stuff until one ends up like this. Two women were discussing their husbands. Does your husband believe in life after death, said one. He doesn't even believe in life after dinner, said the other. If we don't bring the gospel into our lives, we get like that, bored and uninterested. Are we like the crowd of conspicuous consumption or like the crowd of the camp followers and curiosity seekers around Jesus at the meal of bread and wine or even at the meal of fish and bread? Are we just playing Christianity? Thorne Kierkegaard, a theologian, said this. So it is that soldiers play war on the parade grounds. There's no danger. One only pretends that there is. And the art essentially consists of making everything deceptive, just as if it were a matter of life and death. And thus, in the same way, Christianity is played in Christendom. Those are hard words. But don't get me wrong, it's good that we're there for whatever reason, or that we're here for whatever reason. It's good that we're in that crowd around Jesus. Because who's to say? when the miracle of faith might happen. It hit home, take root. And it's always best to be near Jesus. And then finally, there's that other group in the crowd around Jesus, the one that wants to be in with him. They may not be perfected in faith. They may have doubts and questions. They may even struggle with their faith most of us. But they honestly seek God's grace. It's those who know their shortcomings, who know their need for God. And this is the crowd that Jesus seeks to save. I call it the confessing crowd. Imperfect, yet faithful. Struggling, yet trusting in God's grace and forgiveness. This is the crowd that's not 
afraid to hear and say these words. We confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole heart. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord God, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And then we hear to the pastor that response that tells us of God's grace. Where we hear these words, Almighty God in his mercy has given his son to die for us. And for his sake forgives us all our sins. I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Think about that. A fresh start. The entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the forgiven crowd around Jesus. The crowd I hope we're all in. So these folks are in the crowd around Jesus on the hillside and in this church. I hope you see your, yourself in that group. Those who see themselves as needing forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Those who see themselves as needing to be transformed in heart and mind by Jesus. Those who see themselves as needing to give thanks to God for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for the opportunities to be of service to others like Andrew. Or like that little fellow with the fish. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding in our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And in way by way of coming back.